I hope that you have found that God has been faithful to you this week. I know that He will be faithful every time we seek Him and open up His Word, and I pray that you will open up His Word together with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and when you get there, you can start in verse 45. We'll stand and read that in a moment together, starting in Mark chapter 6, in verse 45. If you're using that pew Bible there in front of you, which I encourage you to do if you don't have a Bible with you, is on page 1,159. And if you're coming here and you don't have a Bible with you, or you don't have a Bible and you want to use that pew Bible, I encourage you, take that pew Bible with you. We'll get some more. Now, if you have a Bible, then leave it there for somebody who doesn't. But if you don't have a Bible today and you want a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to take it and read it and spend time in it. And uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're all here for what the Lord has for us. I get a lot of experience at this in this church because we're going through a little bit of a growth moment. And our growth moment, many in some ways, is happening through our young families and their young children. I went back during Sunday school to check on the rooms and they were full, full of little kids. And one of the things I love to watch is your child learning to walk. There is that mix between a desire for them to get up and go and then that fear of them actually letting go. There is the two steps forward and the one step back that tends to happen many times. There's that need that they have to have something to hold on to, but that allure of something that they know they can only get to when they let go of everything. You guys are smiling at me. You remember this. You either have a young child who's going through this right now, or you remember your own children when they were older. You know, it's similar to learning to ride a bike without training wheels. With the training wheels, a child can ride a bike anywhere, teetering side to side on those extra wheels that they've been given. Once they're taken off, the fear of riding a bike within them grows. As a parent, we typically seek to transition, trying to hold the back of the bike, mostly at the child's request, but partly because of our own need not to see them crash. I recall running behind both of my boys with them thinking that I had my hand on the back seat of the bike when I actually did not. They were both shocked and relieved to know that they had finally learned how to ride a bike by themselves, but they still just needed me to be close. Those are sweet memories, but not only that, but God can use those things in our lives as great spiritual lessons. And so I pray that we'll stand together now and read from Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 45 to 52. Mark chapter 6, picking up in verse 45. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when he saw them walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. 
For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. All right, leave your scripture open. You may have a seat. We're going to talk through God's word here just a little bit. Now, of course, we picked up in verse 45, which means there are 44 verses of Mark chapter 6 that I want to put in context for us because it's important to know, church, what has happened just before so it gives context to what we just read. But you know that's true in life. What happened this morning before you got to this seat sets the context of how you're going to receive the next half hour or so. Some of your mornings have been peaceful and easy and simple. Some of your mornings have been not. No need to say anything else, right? And it sets the context. And and so I want to pray right now that the Lord resets all of our context, that we understand that we are in a divine appointment, opening up the Word of God, where He wants us to know Him because of that, and He has something for you. I've had an awesome day so far. I got here early. I knew we were doing a baptism. I got to meet with one of our young ones, talking about Jesus in their life. Of course, you saw the baptism, and now we're standing here together. And and so the context of which you find yourself right now is important, and it is also in Scripture. So in Mark chapter 6, in verses 1 to 6, Jesus leaves his own country due to their lack of belief. He was there, but the people, because their hearts were hardened, because they could not see him as anybody but Joseph's, the carpenter's son, they were not accepting, not believing of anything that he did. And Scripture teaches some sad things there. It said, but they could not. Jesus could not do anything there because of their unbelief. This morning, you may find yourself in a belief challenge. I'm here to tell you that that appointment that God wants to keep through his word today, that context that he's setting you in today, I want to remind you that your belief and faith will have a great role in that. In in verses 7 to 13, Jesus sends the disciples out two by two with power. It's sort of like they've been walking around as a 13-person group, Jesus and the 12 disciples. And now he says, hey, fellas, let's try something. I'm going to pair you up, and I'm going to send you out, and I'm going to give you power, and I'm going to teach you what to do, and you're going to go and do that. You talk about taking the training wheels off. In in same chapter, in verses 14 to 29, we are recounting the death of John the Baptist, which was not only the forerunner of Christ, but it was a family member of Jesus. And you can read that. In verses 30 to 32, the disciples return. They want to share with Jesus, and Jesus sends them off to depart. He says, because I know you need rest. And I believe on this rest, Jesus will say, okay, now tell me everything. And then in verses 33 to 44, this departure to go rest turns into the feeding of the 5,000. So the rest is delayed just a little bit. And Jesus has compassion and he teaches them. And we're not going to study that miracle, but you can go and read it in this passage all the way through verse 44. And so when you get to Verse 45, and it says, immediately, this has been a busy time, 
been an emotional time for them. They had continued, but it had continued to be a time of Jesus teaching them. And so in verse 45, Jesus immediately made his disciples get into the boat and leave. That's what we're told in verse 45. Immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. In John chapter 6, verse 15, we're sort of given some insight as to one of the reasons why Jesus may have told them to leave. And John 6, 15 tells us that because of the miracle that Jesus had performed in the feeding of the 5,000, that the people wanted to take Jesus by force, Scripture says, and to make him king. And Jesus probably knew that his disciples weren't ready for that yet. You know, there is a time when you're, as a parent, you'll know whether it's time to take the training wheels off or not. And Jesus knew it's probably not the right time to take the training wheels off. I need to get these fellas out of here. They need rest, and they don't need to be dealing with all of this. Verse 45 says, Jesus sent them away so abruptly that Jesus was left to send the multitude home. You see what's happened here? 5,000, which is probably 20,000 times you count their kids and their spouses and all of these things. Jesus says, you guys go, get in the boat, go there. I'll take care of the departure. And by reading this, we can assume that the disciples listened and they obeyed what Jesus said. Because we find them, not long after this verse where Jesus says, get into the boat and go, we find them in the boat having gone. Now it's important to do what Jesus says. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 6 to 9 says this, Therefore you shall keep the commands of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land which you will eat bread without scarcity and which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Did you catch that? God said as early as in the beginning of his word that when you do what I say, it puts you in position for you to reap all the benefits that I can provide. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, it says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Again, as God is developing and raising up his people, he's teaching them, doing what I tell you is important. Part of our training is to learn to walk with God, which is us doing what God tells us to do. That when we do not understand, we must trust God anyway because His purposes and plans for us are, have our best interest in mind. He's teaching us and preparing us. And so, just a simple question. What is God telling you to do? And you're going, well, He's not telling me to do anything. That's not possible. God is telling you to do something. And if you're not hearing him, warning signs should go off. But God's telling you to do something. So my question is not, is God telling you to do something? My question is, what is God telling you to do? Take time this week. Ask God, God, 
Make it clear to me. Be in his word. Be in prayer. Ask him directly, Lord, tell me what you want me to do. Because scripture is full of God saying, if you do what I say, it opens up my opportunity to bless you beyond measure. I am telling you what to do. Now go and do it. I'm proud of David. You know what God says in his word? Come to know me and then publicly declare me and then follow my example in baptism. That is not, church, a small thing to do. Do what God says. But not only what is God telling you to do, here's the second question, which is only good if you've asked, the, asked and answered the first question is, are you doing it? Whatever it is that God is asking you to do, go, say, spend, give, change, whatever it is, stop. Are you doing it? You see, the promised land, God said, is full of everything that God wants you to have, but it comes on the condition of following and doing what I tell you to do. Church, can I tell you, whatever God's calling you to do, it's what you need to be doing. And if you're going, well, I'm, I'm not really sure, well, then holler at me. We'll spend some time praying together and talking together, encouraging each other together as we try to sort through what God is telling you to do and sort through your ability to, to do that. So in verse 46, the disciples have been sent away. Jesus has sent the crowd away. And we get to verse 46, and Jesus, it says, departed to the mountain to pray. So Jesus is all alone. Now, I don't know what some of you would give for just a few moments alone. Some of you young moms, I see you tackling it. And you're going, I just need a moment. Jesus has a moment. No disciples, no people to meet needs for, no sick, no needy, no Pharisees trying to challenge him. Jesus is alone. And he chooses to spend time with his father. Jesus could have done anything he wanted, or he could have done nothing. And he said, nope, I want to spend time with my father. His singular desire in this moment is to spend time with his father. Jesus needed to spend time with God. And church, can I challenge you, if the perfect son of God desired and needed to spend time with his father, how much more must we need and how much more should we spend time with our Father? I went through a video series one day, and, and a man was talking about how he gives his tithe, not his tithe, he gives a tithe of his time. And he said that he counted his day as a 10-hour day. I think because he's probably backing off sleep, and I'm not sure what he based it on, but he said 10-hour day. And he said, because it's tithe, I give one hour, and I give that one hour early in the morning. And if I give the Lord that one hour early in the morning, it sets the context for the whole day. Spending time with God. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Do you see that conditional statement there? John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do 
nothing. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because his trust is in you, stayed on you. Do you spend time with God? Listen, I've been raised in the Southern Baptist Church my whole life. I've had to face that question every week as somebody hands me a pink envelope and I put my quarter in it that my mom or my dad gave me and then I had to face a series of questions. And if you're going, what questions? Pull that pink envelope out of the pew right there. It's going to say, did you bring your Bible? Did you study your lesson? Are you giving? Did you read your Bible daily? Some of you, You've been a Southern Baptist your whole life. You still check those boxes. I think that's one of the coolest things ever. But do you spend time with God? Is it your desire that you will seek that above all things? Do you spend time with God? Because I believe that when you spend time with God, you might find out what he's asking you to do. And then you might be empowered to both know that and then to begin to do that. So this is sort of working its way backwards here just a little bit. And if you spend time with God, this is where the envelope checkers in me and maybe some of you are, are we got to be careful. Are you spending time with God so you can check the box? Whether that's on a pink envelope or whether that's in your list in your mind. Or are you... Spending time with God because you just can't figure out how to live life if you don't. Verse 48. We get in here and Jesus says he went to pray. It was evening and the boat was in the middle of the sea when we get to verse 48. And Jesus was alone on the land. We've talked about that. He had just spent time with God. It's now the fourth watch. Jesus has not just, you know, if you go back to the feeding of the 5,000, One of the things they said is, Jesus, it's starting to get late. We need to send the people home. And Jesus said, no, you feed them, leave them here. But when they left, it was probably still daylight, close to the end, like 445 Central Standard Time on November the 12th, 2023, where it's going to be dark. But now it's the fourth watch. So let's say it took Jesus a few minutes to send everybody home, and he's now on the beach at the fourth watch seeing the disciples out there alone. Jesus didn't just clock in for 15 minutes. I need to be with God time. Jesus spent hours with his Father. I just think that's a cool thing. Verse 48. Then he saw them straining at rowing. And I just stopped. Wrote that down right there. He saw them. Now, let's just make sure we keep this in context. They were halfway across. They were in a storm. They were straining at rowing. Jesus was alone on the shore, and he sees them. Not just sees them, hey, there's a boat. No, he sees them and goes, and there's my boys, and my boys are having a hard time straining at the oars. Church, that's miraculous. 
Let me just sort of bring that home for just a second. God sees you right now. Wherever you are, middle of the boat, middle of the storm, middle of a fight, middle of a decision, middle of a struggle, he sees you. And he knows exactly what you're going through. He said, I see them and they're straining. He sees you. Oh my goodness. Just build on this. Spending time with the Father. We prayed this morning together and we said, we prayed, we know, Father, that Jeff has an outline and a sermon, but help him be free to follow what you lead him to do. And I do. And I want to seek to be that. And it's interesting in this moment that Jesus, because he had spent time with his father, was able to see things clearly. Now, you're going, but he's Jesus. But, remember, he's teaching us. I can almost make you this promise. If you will diligently desire to be with God, spend time with him and not make it six minutes, really come after him and desire him, when you get done with that, you'll see more clearly. You'll hear him more clearly. You'll know what he's telling you to do, and you'll have a desire to obey it unlike you've ever had before. But Jesus sees them. That's pretty awesome. I just want you to know, I may not personally know right this second what you are facing, and I would love to walk with you if you choose to let me walk with you. But God knows exactly what you're facing. And it gets better. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Now we're not even going to talk about for a second how he gets to them. But we need to understand the spiritual truth that just happened right here. God sent them into the boat. God sent them into the lake. God sent them into the storm. God saw them, and now he comes to them. Wherever you find yourself, whatever you're facing, know that God sees you, but know that he is coming to you. Scripture teaches that he will never leave you comfortless. He will come alongside. He will. Now, it's interesting. It says Jesus came to them. Now, similarly, it's just two chapters ago. We're not turning there, but in Mark chapter 4, this similar type story happened where Jesus sent the disciples and he said, let's go across. And Jesus was in the boat with them. You can read that in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. You can read that story right there. The only difference between the Mark chapter 4 storm and the Mark chapter 6 storm is that in Mark chapter 4, Jesus was in the boat with them. And in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is on the shore watching them and coming to them. This is where the training wheels started 
going around and around in my head. Jesus knew from Mark chapter 4 what their fear was. The storm and dying. And instead of going, okay, I won't let you go through any more storms. He said, I'm going to put you in another one. And I'm going to make this one just a little bit harder because I'm going to step back. And I'm going to hold the bike from the back. I'm going to let you pedal through this storm. He's not leaving you alone. Jesus never took his eye away. And he's on his way. I just think that's such a great example. They needed to learn to trust Jesus even when he was not physically there with them. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And, though, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Through God's word, we are promised that we, when we are faithful, when we are obedient, when we are seeking God, when we are in his word, when we know what he wants us to do, when we're doing what he wants us to do, he says, I will see you and I will be with you and I will take care of you. So it goes back in this verses, verse 48, saw them, great, came to them, awesome, walking on the sea. That's pretty cool, don't you think? He comes to them walking on the sea, and Scripture says, and he would have passed them by. That's what it says right there, right? But they saw him, and they called out to him. And when they called out to him, Jesus turned to help them. You know, every now and then, when you put that kid on the bike, you take that training wheel off, if you don't let them wobble a little bit, they'll never figure out this balance thing, and they'll never get going. Jesus is going, I'm here. But I'm going to have to let you sort of figure this out just a little bit. That's part of spiritually growing. But why walking on the water? Jesus knew that the storms were what they feared. He could see them. He showed them his power over the sea in Mark chapter 4. He's showing them again his power over everything that makes you fearful. Jesus is going, listen, this storm, not only am I in the boat and I can make it be quiet, I'm just going to walk on it. Do you know that the God that you serve, the God that you seek, the God that you desire, or hopefully all of these things are true in your life, he's got it all the power under control. He's walking on the very thing that causes you to be fearful. That's called control. And he's in control of this. And he comes to them, and he says here, when they saw him walking on the sea, verse 49, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them, and he said, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Saw them, came to them, spoke to them. Now there's a little bit of a circle we're creating here. None of this happens if they don't overhear Jesus says, okay, you 12, go get in the boat and take off. I got this. And they go, no, we're going to stay here and help. 
You know, when you're not obedient to what, calls, what God calls you to do, when you're not obedient, you lose out on all of the steps that God's got planned ahead for you. And so they're right where God wants them to be because he's teaching them. Now, it says that when they saw him walking on the water, about to go past them, it somehow surprised them. Now, I did. I wrote this in my notes. They were surprised. Why were they surprised? And you're looking at me like, well, why, weren't they, why weren't they surprised? Well, they were. Because why were they surprised? Because people don't walk on water. Perhaps they're surprised because they had allowed the storm to distract them. Is that possible? They allowed the storm to distract them. Likely, the reason they were surprised that they saw Jesus is because they weren't looking for him. Now let that soak in just a little bit, because in our lives, church, we need to look for Jesus. Sometimes we find ourselves in the boat, in the storm, straining, not knowing we're seen, not feeling seen, not knowing Jesus is on the way, and not hearing his voice. And in that situation, things are really, really hard. But it all changes when we begin to look for Jesus. I mentioned to you that God sees you. He knows exactly where you are. Here's the question. Do you see him? Are you looking for him in these moments? Church, we need to look for Jesus. We need to expect his presence, and we need to watch. He knows, he sees, he comes. And Jesus says, it's I. Don't be afraid. I like that. Jesus makes sure that we know exactly who he is. You know, Scripture teaches, don't just believe anything you hear and see. Test it. Jesus said, it's me. He made it clear to them. Verse 51 said that Jesus got into the boat, the winds ceased. Now, in the prior storm, Jesus was already in the boat, and he calmed the sea. And at that time, back in Mark chapter 4, the disciples go, what manner of man is this? What they're really saying is, who are you? In Matthew's account of this event, Matthew, I mean Mark chapter 6, they now say in Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, you truly, you are the Son of God. Do you notice the growth that they have here? First of all, Jesus went with them away in Mark chapter 4. Now Jesus sends them away in the boat, Mark chapter 6. Now they're going in Mark chapter 4, who are you? We don't get this. And in Mark chapter 6, they're going, you're the Lord. That's growth. So you know when the training wheels can come off. They're learning who Jesus is little by little. Now I'm going to flip over to Matthew chapter 14. I'm just going to read a couple of verses right there. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28 to 31. Similar, same story, Matthew's account. Picking up at verse 28, and it says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now you see where this pops in, right? They said, who are you? And he says, it is I. And then Peter says right here in Matthew's account, Lord, tell me I can come with you. Tell me I can come out on the water. So he said, verse 29, come. And when Peter had come down out of the water, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. 
And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter asked Jesus, similar account, same account. Can I join you? Jesus, tell me to come on out there with you. And Jesus told him to come. Peter got out of the boat. Now, you know, we can go, look, Peter sank. Well, Scripture taught us two things that we need to probably grab a hold of here. First of all, Peter got out of the boat. How many of us never leave the comfort of the boat? Not only did Peter get out of the boat, Scripture says it right there when I read it, Peter walked on the water. And you're going, but I can't do these things. Now, the thing about it is, is Peter heard, obeyed, sought after, desired God, did all of these things, and when Jesus said, come on, he was able to do it. You notice Peter was walking on the water up until Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and put it on the storm. Have I told you that Jesus sees the storm that you're in? He's coming. You look for him. And whatever he says do, you do just that. And then Jesus in verse 31 that we were just reading, looked at Peter and he said, why did you doubt? He didn't look at Peter and go, why did you get out of the boat? He didn't look at Peter and go, you should have stayed in that boat. No, he said, why did you doubt? That's Jesus saying, I want you with me. Step on out, but keep your eyes on me. Now, it's an interesting fact. Mark, the gospel of Mark, is the gospel written by Mark according to the apostle Peter, most historians believe. Peter, note this, this is Peter. Talk about taking the training wheels off. This is Peter years after recounting all of this. And in the book of Mark, there's no mention of Peter walking on the water. Peter says, Mark, just leave that part out. And it's not because he sank. It's because if we're not careful, we'll raise Peter up to a level that we can't get to. And we'll say, Peter said, well, I walked. I did it. Peter left that out. Shows growth and humility in Peter. The other day, I looked out my bedroom window. And the five-year-old boy who lives next door to us had just had his training wheels taken off. Little boy, helmet, knee pads, probably elbow pads, probably every pad known to man. Training wheels on the ground. And he needed his bike held up for him, and he got on the bike. And he, you can see him just looking. You know what he's looking for, right? You still got a hold of me, right? And he's looking, and he's looking. And then a few false starts, a few wobbles, a few catches. You could see that he was nervous. And he needed his pedal. Do you guys recall this? He needed his pedal in just the right spot. You guys ever remember going, I'm going to do this, but you got to get your pedal just to the right spot. You can't just do it any old way. The pedal's got to be like right there. I watched him get his pedal in just the right spot. 
After a few uncertain tries, he pushes off and goes all by himself. I kept watching because his mother just stood there and watched him take off. Now, she was watching part out of joy. He's doing it. And part out of concern, boy, don't hit that mailbox. And he came back, and he was thrilled. A couple of days later, I, a couple of days later, I went out in the street to check our mail, and our neighbor, same neighbor, was out. And so we met halfway in between, and we were talking about I was right here, and she was right there. We were just talking, and her son was riding around. Next thing I know, this been riding my bike without training wheels for two days, boys, goes shoom right between us. <laughs> He's all of a sudden become a daredevil because now I'm thinking, I'm going to watch this boy because that could have been the end of me or him one. And the next thing I know, he's turning around and he's coming right back between us. Isn't it amazing what can happen when you get over the fear, you take the training wheels off, you get your pedal in just the right spot, and you take off. You don't crash. You don't burn. You have joy. You rejoice. It's all good. And tomorrow... I'm a little better at it, and the day after that, I'm a little better at it, and then next day I know I'm running right past Jeff like an evil Knievel. That's what God wants to see you do. He wants to see you hear Him, obey Him, seek Him more than anything. Look for Him. Step out and go. So back to maybe one of our original questions. What is God asking you to do? Most likely, what he's asking you to do is going to require you to step out on something. Maybe you should spend a little time this week going, okay, why have I not yet done that? And if it has to do with it's hard, it could be painful, it's a challenge. All this stuff, just know that God knows. And he's still calling you to do it. He's going to be right there. Take the training wheels off. It's time to go. You know, they say you never forget how to ride a bike once you learn it. So my final point is, has there ever been a time in your life that you have trusted God more than you do right now? You can look back and you go, yeah, I used to be so close to God. I used to desire Him and be in His Word. I used to do all of these things, but now I look back and I've sort of let it slip away. I'm here to remind you, same God, same Word, same Spirit, same context. Just get back on the bike. Today is the day that you can go, I'm coming back, Jesus. I'm coming back. I'm going to, I've not forgotten. It's time, church, in whatever way you're looking at it, to get rid of the training wheels. God's putting you right there. Time to step out.